Welcome to Gatekeeper, a podcast about booking from the bookers and gatekeepers who decide who's in, who's out. Also, there's other stuff. And now your host of Gatekeeper, artistic director of the Hollywood Improv, Jamie Flam. Hi, welcome to Gatekeeper. My name is Jamie Flam. I'm the host of the show. Welcome back. Or if it's your first time, welcome. In either case, welcome. 32 is a special episode. 32 was the number that Magic Johnson wore on his Lakers jersey. He was a very important member of several championship-winning Laker teams in the 1980s. Check him out online, uh, magicjohnson.com, I think. Or you can just type in Magic Johnson into your favorite search engine, click enter on your keyboard, and some great results are going to come up. I'm sure of it. Speaking of numbers, this is the first episode of Gatekeeper that I am recording as a 40-year-old man. Can you hear the wisdom in my voice? I woke up and just had all this new wisdom and insight in my mouth, and I haven't brushed my teeth since. <laughs> Cue that toothbrushing sound effect. I guess some things never change. Also, speaking of numbers, quick shout out to that great CBS show where they solve crimes using math. Judd Hirsch, the rest of the crew, I think it was called Numbers. And instead of an E, they used a three. A number in a word? <laughs> okay. Uh, I haven't seen that since the movie Seven. The problem with these TV shows and movies with these numbers and letters, I don't know if I'm watching a program or just seeing someone's email password. Quick reminder, in case you forgot, I am the artistic director, the booker, the decision maker here at the world famous Hollywood Improv, and I chose to make that joke about email passwords, and I just might be responsible for deciding who goes up on this stage every single night. Speaking of going up on stage, I want to tell you a quick story. This coming Sunday, we will be celebrating the one-year anniversary of our show Lab Work, which was a show that I started here when the lab opened to begin a development system here at the club, something that hasn't existed as long as I've been here. It's kind of like a cross between a showcase and an open mic. I'm booking some spots of comedians that I want to see or have to get up for industry, and then the rest of the night, we're pulling names out of a bucket. But as opposed to most open mics where you'd be working out new material, at lab work, the expectation is that even if your name gets pulled, you're bringing your crafted best three minutes because the booker is there. And if you perform well, you might be asked to come do a set on a future show. Now, if you've ever been to an open mic or a show similar to this, you know that the audience can be very hit or miss. Luckily, for the last year, almost every Sunday, every seat in that room is packed and the energy is amazing. It's a really supportive group of comics that all want to succeed, and a family atmosphere has evolved. This is especially important because so many comics are showcasing for me, and they want to put their best foot forward. However, the audience at this last week's Labwork show was a little bit less supportive than usual. And when I say a little bit, I mean a lot bit. Sometimes when a comic gets off stage, it's very easy to blame the audience for being bad, for not getting it. But sometimes there really just is a bad energy in a room, and there's no getting around it. Especially with a bunch of comics in a room who are all prepping for their own set. Sometimes they're getting in their head, they're thinking about the material that they're going to do, they're analyzing everybody else, there's a sense of competition. So you add all these things together, and it could be the perfect recipe for a tough crowd. So this past Sunday was one of those nights I saw a lot of great sets that I felt should have got more laughs, but they were met with silence through and through, even for some of the more established comedians who dropped in. Something that I really love as a booker is when some more established names come to our open mic, which shows that they are not entitled and have no ego. It's all about just working on their craft and getting better, even if it's just doing a set in front of a bunch of other comics. Because we're the Hollywood Improv and we have so many shows going on and people hanging out at the bar, you never know who's going to drop in. And it actually happens quite often at our open mics and Labrook shows. So remember the scene. we got a cynical audience. They're not laughing at anything. There's not a lot of love in the room. And who comes up to me but Kirk Fox? Kirk is a nationally headlining comedian. You may have seen Kirk recently on the new Rush Hour show, Gerard Carmichael show on NBC. And of course, he plays one of my favorite parts on Parks and Rec. He approached me about getting up, and I mentioned to him that the energy in the room was pretty bad. 
but that didn't deter him from wanting to go up to work on some material. Kirk was able to hold his own more than most people that night and get some reaction from the audience because he took the stage with confidence, he's a pro, he's well-known, but he still didn't get the laughs he deserved. He ended his set by saying some encouraging words to the comics, which I really appreciated. He took a moment to acknowledge the crowd and told everyone, we're all in this together, give more love and you'll get more love back. In other words, support your fellow comics, you know? A high tide raises all ships. And that doesn't mean be fake or laugh at things that aren't funny, but it's a reminder to be present. Even when you're a comic at an open mic or a showcase, show your love, show your support, because we're all doing this to have a good time. We're all doing this because we want to have a career doing something that we love doing, and comedy doesn't work without an audience, even if that audience is entirely made up of comedians. And it's a good reminder that you don't have to push someone down to get higher up. By the way, if there's any comics listening, a reminder that even if you don't have the best set, even if the audience isn't reacting the way you want, at least me personally, I'm always looking at a set in the context of the show as a whole. I've said this before on the podcast, but as a booker, I'm always looking for people that have a unique voice, have something to say, are passionate about what they do, who work hard, are cool as fuck. And of course, it's nice when they get a lot of laughs too, but that's only one part of the bigger whole. So to reiterate what Kirk Fox said, we're all in this together. Give more love and you'll get more back. And guess what? As soon as he said that, the entire audience woke up. The rest of the show, the support was palpable. It ended up being a magical night and he really opened up the room and people were open and all it took was a simple reminder of why we're all doing this and what we're doing it for. So if we keep that in the back of our mind, there's no reason that any mic or show can't be magical. Speaking of magical, we got an amazing conversation coming up right now. I had a really awesome conversation with Lindsay Flynn. Lindsay is a producer and she's worked at Paramount, 20th Century Fox, and Fox Animation on shows like Family Guy, American Dad, and so much more. I thought it'd be really great to get a perspective from someone that's producing stuff. So, so whether you're a comic or a writer or anything else in this comedy biz... You're going to work with a producer at one time or another, and chances are you're going to be a producer yourself. And she gives some great insight into being a gatekeeper as a producer and a lot of the gatekeepers she's encountered on her path and continues to encounter on her path towards making amazing things that people love. Speaking of amazing things that people love, when people say speaking of 15 times over the course of a three-minute intro to a podcast. Gatekeeper. Welcome to Gatekeeper. My name is Jamie Flam, and I am joined today by Lindsay Flynn. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Jamie. How well, are you? Welcome to Gatekeeper. <laughs> Thank you for having me. What do you think of the cool gate? Um, it's very lovely. There's more um, velvet curtain than I thought there would be. Well, you're a producer. Yes. And I'm excited to talk to you. We haven't really talked to... I mean, everyone's a producer in their own way, but you are a producer. That's what you do. You like to make things happen. Mm -hmm. And so looking around, how would you produce this gatekeeper set differently? Um, I feel like you guys need some photographs mm -hmm. in here, maybe mm -hmm. some headshots, um, signed, unsigned, just, you know, like a laundromat, laundromat, kind or of laundromat, dry cleaner, I should say. but I like the library. There's a nice library. There's beautiful couches, mm -hmm. um, beautiful rug really ties the room together. Um, you know, I see the bar, the bar, the chairs can be a little bit we're getting into production design, but that's fine too. So that's totally fine. But yeah, no, it's a nice little spot. I could see a whole VIP green room up here after an improv you show. Is this where it happens? It does happen sometimes. <laughs> what up happens here. to the podcast stuff? Um, it usually gets wine and beer spilled yeah. all over it. Like a sign taped to it, like please don't spill anything exactly. on these fancy. Look at that. Things. Now that's a producer right there. There you go. <laughs> Do Taping not signs to things that you shouldn't touch. So Lindsay, how does one become a producer? Oh, wow. Or what's, I mean, I guess it's a pretty, uh, I guess it's a path that, that's unique to every individual. What is, what is your path to becoming someone that makes things? Well, I, um, you know, I grew up, I love TV so much and I always, I'm, I'm from Pittsburgh and I just, I watched it. It like raised me, television raised me. And, um, you know, I would see in the credits, I noticed them very early and I would notice people who I liked and what shows they kind of continued to work on and that sort of thing. And like, what roles are we talking about? Just like, the I remember best boy, the gaffer. Well, no, I, re I remember, uh, like saved by the bell, Peter Engel. And mm. I'm like, Hmm, what does that guy do? You know? And fast forward years later, I was in LA and a 
production company I was working um, with shared offices with him and I saw his name on a parking spot and I freaked out and they're like, you know who that is? I was like, uh, hello, like who doesn't know who that is? Production nerd. (laughs) Yeah. So, but like from, yeah, so I would, I would notice those names and, and, you know, actors and I have like a a brain that like your own personal IMDb. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you had to be before the internet. So I, I always thought it would be so cool to be on the other side of, of that. And in my small town, um, outside of Pittsburgh in a suburb, I, you know, did theater and, you know, that was fun and show nights and it was just, it was always fun and it felt like magic and I wanted to be a part of it. And, uh, I played some sports in high school and I wanted to continue playing in college. So I went to a very small liberal arts school, St. Vincent college in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. And, uh, yeah, I spent four years there. And then as soon as that was done, I moved to New York City. And I didn't really know anybody there. I had a family friend who hooked me up with just this. It was this she she made the place cards that are in hotels and stuff like all of the printed items that were mm-hmm. in hotels. She was the printer for a lot of them, like in, in New York. So I started working for a um company that handled sales and marketing for a small boutique company or hotels. And, uh, but I was managing, uh, travel for a sales team of like 15 people, 10, 15 people. So that definitely helped me stay organized across and nobody was in the same town. So there was London, LA, you know, we had somebody in Atlanta. So it was keeping everybody, the team organized. And that sort of helped me, um, kind of in my future, uh, to this day. And, um, and then I, from there I went to, what did I do? Oh, well, I had this really awesome internship in Pittsburgh, uh, for a radio station cool. and I wrote on air promos and I got to write like some, uh, uh, contests and I had scripts, I'm using air quotes. <laughs> and, uh, when I was working for the sales and marketing company, um, a friend of mine, that I'd made in New York, uh, had this promo company that needed an, uh, on-air producer. And I showed my script and they liked it. And I got a job. I was, I was, you know, I couldn't believe it. I had like an amazing office. I could see the top of 30 rock and, and like the top of the Christmas tree, because for me being sort of a TV nerd and comedy nerd, like SNL was always like, ah, I've never been. Um, but just, it was just, what was this awesome. radio promo? Just going back a bit. Um, the radio promo, I think it was a contest for, it was um, a light, they were a light rock radio station, but then there was also another station that was the hard rock. So we would do, um, it, there was some giveaway. Hard at rock lunchtime. sucks. Yeah. It's all about soft rock. Easy listening on Pittsburgh's PPB, KLFM. Oh, I just made it like my own last name. It was 92.9 something i don't remember but it was uh yeah it was a contest for some awful 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 soft rock concert that was coming through town and and no it was the prize closet at this place was amazing because nobody ever picked up the stuff Mm -hmm. it was incredible or like there was one time when um um i think it was it was um phil lesh is he from uh grateful dead Grateful Dead. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that my best friend, Heidi, is going to kill me, but there were all these extra tickets to that. And I was like, do you want these? And she's like, get down here. And and I came down and we were just like selling these extra tickets that I had from like the prize closet. And that that concert, I don't know any of the music, but um, I... I had all this extra cash. So I was buying like everybody a pretzel and I had like two beers and it was like the best. I've never been to a concert where I just like spent money Mm -hmm. like that because it wasn't I was just like, this is free money. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that was actually, you know, anything in in promotion is a good gig because it's all about the the freebies. Yeah, totally. The giveaways that nobody picks up in a closet. Yeah, I think half the I I did college radio and everyone got all their records. Yeah. Well, just from that. Yeah. And t-shirts, all the t-shirts oh, you could yeah. want. Yeah. A lot, a lot of stuff in there. And then, you know, every few months it's cleaning out the closet. I mean, I was only there, I was a summer intern just once and, uh, it was fun. That was well, fun. Isn't it cool though, that just writing one script and yeah. I, that's just a good lesson for uh, listeners of the show that just doing one thing, these little 
gigs that might seem so, you know, inconsequential. Can yeah. Change your career. Yeah. So now you're, you're, you're looking at 30 Rock. The dreams are right there in front of you. Maybe you could see, uh, I already forgot the, the, the producer's name. Lauren Michaels? No. no. <laughs> uh, Say by the bell. Oh, Peter Ingle. <laughs> Peter Ingle's office yeah. over there in 30 Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, and it was a job writing promos for the Tony Danza show. The Tony Danza show. He did a live talk show that. I um, remember this. That's because it premiered the same year as Ellen. Oh. <laughs> um, so it was fun. And uh, yeah, so we it was me, another producer, and um, an editor. And so we had to do the daily promo. It was a Monday through Friday syndicated talk show, and we were pr- producing promos. And uh, the way those were done was Tony stood in front of a live audience after we ta- we did a show, and... Uh, had him do these reads and they were just Angela. Angela. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why, why this is not like a, a comedy podcast where I do stuff, but I felt compelled to do a do impersonation. <laughs> yeah. It's easy. It's so easy. And sometimes it would be like, Oh, Lindsay, what, what's his name? You know? And it's <laughs> like, <laughs> it was pretty fun. And, uh, the editor and the producer on that, like anytime he's kind of in the headlines, we email each other. And it's like, look, our boy <laughs> is, yeah. is off at it, doing it again. Like doing, you know, um, uh, Broadway, I think, or something, but, uh, yeah, it was funny. And when I think it was probably a year and a half or something from when I stopped that job and I was in LA, I'd moved to LA and I was walking down the beach in Malibu in front of like all those beautiful homes. And I saw Tony Danza Mm -hmm. and I was the only person on the beach. And I just, he knew me enough to like be able to yell at me. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, uh, to whoever I was with, I was like, let's walk the other way. (laughs) I felt embarrassed about it. Flynn. Flynn. (laughs) Um, But the other guy, his name was uh, Chris Impometti. And he loved that another Italian guy, you know, Mm -hmm. but um, for the really hard ones, I would go in there because he would being a girl behind the ca- camera, he would be a little softer, mm-hmm. but I could still get him to do it. And so um, we'd have to swap those days out a little bit. But, you know, I could handle it. Chris, he would probably have been a little rougher on on some of those. Sure. But uh, Mariska Hargitay was a, a tough one. Oh, yeah, it's a tough can... name to say when you see it on a prompter, mm-hmm. when you didn't have any time to be prepped mm-hmm. and that, that name was coming up. Uh, Mary Steenbergen, I feel like, was another mm-hmm. big one. Um, but yeah, so I did that. Um, and then and that was short lived. How long was that show on the air? I think it was on for three seasons. We only did, I think we only did one, um, just because we were sort of contracted out by ABC. And so, uh, we, yeah, we weren't renewed. I think they were just changing everything every season to see what would work. And, um, so I took a job at a facility that, I remember the biggest thing that they did was every Monday night, they did the Monday night football thing. And it was a, it was a company that was so busy and so, but just like had their hand in all sorts of different things. Like they did some Nat Geo shows mm-hmm. and the stuff in New York was so like limited production wise. And I didn't want to work in news and I didn't want to work in fashion or talk show, um, talk show arena. And so a friend of mine was moving to LA and I said, I encouraged her to do it because when I graduated from college, I wanted to try New York for a few years and then get out to LA, kind of see where I could be a producer and where I can create content. And uh, so I talked her into it. I said, I'll meet you out there in April, like when my lease is up. And it was January. And she was like, why don't you come now? And I said, oh, yeah, why don't I? Like, I just needed her to ask that question Mm -hmm. of come now. Um, And so I did. And I was out here for a couple months before I found a job and sort of the same thing as New York. I moved without knowing anybody. I had one friend in LA who was the best friend of a girl I played soccer with in college. And Mm. so uh, she would check out apartments for us or whatever before we moved out. And then it was, I'm a, again, I'm from Pittsburgh. So it was the year the Steelers won the Super Bowl versus the Uh, Seahawks. You remember that? Sure. Great game. (laughs) I remember there was like the big touchdown and, um, and then the pass. And then they kicked the ball through the <laughs> yeah. the big things in the air. Yeah. That was so cool. Yeah. 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 Big, and big uh, game. yeah, it was, I mean, it was a great, great game. <laughs> and so that, but that was like my second day in LA and she took me, 
you know, she took me to this party and I met other people from Pittsburgh. And it was so funny, even though Pittsburgh's so close to New York, the community in New York of people, you just kind of are living your own life, like racing around. And in L.A., you can kind of like create groups of people that like you have similar interest with. And um, so that was cool. I still talk to a few of those guys and get together for Steeler games. But um, a friend... Uh, it's so my so I didn't go to a big college so my I don't have an alumni you know I've had to network and get everywhere I am just by sheer good reputation knowing people kind of always hanging out talking and and being I guess I don't know around or something being yourself yeah so a friend of mine from high school there's a lot of these tangents I feel like as we're sitting here talking I'm like going into these tangents and I don't know if it's super interesting but um a guy from high school when we were juniors moved from um Torrance to my small town and it was like oh this guy from California we stayed friends. And when I moved to LA, he was like, you should look up my cousin. Like he lives, I think he was in, um, Long Beach. It was. And he was like, you should check out, hit up my friend, my cousin on Facebook from Long Beach and whatever. So I did. Their buddy was a shooter for reality shows. And so I got to meet him. He didn't want to like put me up for a job until he met me. And I remember, Oh, okay, that's cool. Like he wants to see me in real life. And I kind of thought that was weird. But now today, if anybody asks me, to meet with somebody or whatever or put them up for a job I always do try to meet them first so I get that but coming cold into this town I was like what is that mm-hmm. we got sushi we had a great mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. um won him over he put me up for a job on Breaking Bonaduce season three that was the best season of that show. <laughs> and uh it was like towards the end of that shoot because I didn't you know reality shows shoot so quickly it was like a few weeks and I was towards the end of it and uh I made an impression. It was three ball productions and um, I got a job on their next project, was, which was Biggest Loser. And um, so from there, I kind of just, I don't know, just kept meeting people and getting out there. And uh, is this all interesting? I mean, it I is. Guess. I think there's so <laughs> many people that would want to produce that have no idea how it works. Yeah. I just kind of keep like, I think, I think I'm a little hungrier than most because I haven't gone to, you know, I'm not from you. Syracuse or UCLA or you know USC or any place like that like I I picked up my life and I moved to New York and I then I did it again and I moved to LA just for the sheer like wanting to create content and kind of be in the game and you can't unless you're here yeah we'll talk about that hunger for a minute what what drives you and what kind of content inspires you to make like what what in a perfect world what do you want to be making it was funny because i had a joke for that but then you kept saying what drives me is a toyota prius (laughs) (laughs) but um i you know it's it's so it's it's so um projects can be as big or as small and as complicated as you make them and it's it's really cool when you see the finished product you kind of forget all of the bullshit that it took to get there. Mm-hmm. And um, I love, I love having, I love knowing what everyone's job is and kind of my whole career. I, you know, I got into a big studio. I got into Fox because I had that promo experience. You know, I, I made I wrote a promo in my internship that got me a job on a talk show that got me a job at Fox. Mm-hmm. And when I was there, I, kind of bounced around Fox and I got to learn the entire life cycle of a show and, and see how it's made from development to syndication, you know, and Mm -hmm. having that sort of overview, um, bless you. Um, thank you. Okay. And, um, so, so that's, what's kind of enjoyable to me. Like I know, I, I know what everybody sort of needs and I try to get that for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I know what the producers need. I know what the writers need. I know what the person in marketing needs. I know what um, business affairs needs. So I just try to kind of be that conduit on the studio side of just getting everybody what they need. And there needs to be sort of that like, um, what, it's not flight attendant. It's the air traffic controller mm-hmm. of information um, and just sort of figuring out better ways to sort of to communicate and to be organized and, and keep the ship. 
sailing. That's, that's very specific what you know you like to do. Yeah. I think a lot of people uh, forget and sometimes some of these more menial roles mm-hmm. um, that you could still get so much out of it mm-hmm. and that if you're paying attention, um, you're learning what everyone is doing and that even when you're doing something that might not be your number one interest, mm-hmm. um, every opportunity is an opportunity to learn. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're a perfect example of that. Yeah, I I definitely um I took I've definitely taken jobs that I felt like I was quote unquote above and it's sort of a weird industry in that you have to put your ego aside. I was a manager at the studio level, but I want to be a line producer's assistant on Family Guy and but I wanted to get back into the production realm of things because you know, the marketing wasn't fulfilling me. You know, I, I didn't mind. I was making sizzles and sales tapes and I was selling how I met your mother into syndication. And I was a part of the team that did that. And I was, that was exciting, but I wanted to kind of take it a bit further and be a part of it from the beginning and kind of get back to that. And, uh, um, so I, I, you know, I took that job and I, it's not, I've maybe done that twice so far in my career. And, uh, but it's to my advantage, you know, later on, I got a job because I knew animation and where I'm working now, I have to speak animation language. And not a lot of people in this town know that, you know, know that la- how to talk animation and how it's made. And is that um, like, um, when, like lots of, uh, punctuation marks? And, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 A lot of zoinks, um, et cetera. zoinks sound effects. <laughs> um, but I think animation is something that for creators and writers and you know it's cheaper to make in theory than a live action show and so um there's you know people in this town want to make those sort of adult comedies like family guy or simpsons or whatever and uh but not a lot of people out there get outside of that world you know people who have those jobs on those shows sort of stay there for a long time because it's great gig like what there's people on Simpsons who are retiring from Simpsons which is insane and so um so being somebody who can kind of speak to that too is just another part of my background that has I think made me um appealing to people who want to hire me for a job um what is I mean how would you break down the difference between an animated and live action as far as the production goes or is it basically the same um, no, so, it, so, um, animation, the, well, the script gets written and then, um, I'm going to kind of, I'm thinking in my head of sort of the life cycle of, you know, uh, Bob's Burgers or a Family Guy, American Dad type show. Um, script's written, there's a table read. Then the next day, whatever sort of rewrites happen, um, just notes or whatever. But the next day the actors come in or they send in their performance the record and then from there it is broken down the dialogue is broken down and already the artists or the director has broken down the schedule and or the script I'm sorry and they are storyboarding it and but there's somebody who's deciding which mouth to use based on the performance and how the people pronunciate mm. you know the words and that's a job on a show the mouth, mouth you know, guy or mouth girl? mouth guy yeah and then you know it kind of goes from there and then the storyboards <clears throat> are um, when it gets to the point where they can ship it, they'll ship it to there's a bunch of studios in Korea and they, you know, will the storyboard, the arm will be in one spot and then in the next panel will be in the other and they have to tell them how many seconds or frames it gets there and they draw all those and that takes a lot of time. And so those shows take about a year to 15 months to sort of produce and one episode. Yeah. 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 I, and I saw a promo or something where a family guy had a very topical sort of open and I wanted to check in with my friends on how they actually did that because I don't know how they did. I mean, they must've had done it in LA, I guess. There's plenty of, there's plenty of places here in LA that are doing animation. And, um, apparently there was a big strike in the seventies. And so all the animation moved to, uh, Korea, all Mm -hmm. the jobs and, it's starting to sort of trickle back, but, um, yeah. Um, so that's, yeah. So, and then, so, a scripted show, um, 
sort of traditional scripted uh, would be there'd be a table read on a Monday and then they kind of shoot the rest of the week. And then there's a few weeks of post and it delivers. So it's a much quicker turnaround. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's quite a bit of difference. And, you know, on a scripted show or a live action show, I should say, there's, you know, wardrobe, production design and animation. There's prop design, there's character design. And so they're the same. They're just, you know, one's going out and buying stuff. The other one's just drawing it. And, uh, and then there's the colorist. There's somebody who just colors all of it That's a sweet all day, all day long. And in post-production, um, you, you do a final audio mix and you color a live action show, but in animation, you don't have to usually color correct because somebody has colored it. I think, I think the Simpsons color corrects. And so that's another step, but the post process is pretty similar. Um, I actually got a job at 20th post, um, because of my animation experience. And then once I got there, I was like, there's really no difference between animation post and live action, but thank you for letting me have this job. And here I am. And, and I was the animation person there. So that sort of brought me into the fold in that respect. So, yeah. Um, did I answer the question on Uh, that one? What was the question? The animation versus live action. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think um, above and beyond of what I could ask. See, for. I can ramble and I can go for it, and just. <laughs> no, you're you're talking with the ramble master. <laughs> Old Look rambly, out. they call me. <laughs> Look out, Loretta. <laughs> Let's talk about talent for a minute. Mm-hmm. I mean, in your job, you have to work with talent, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm curious to know what do you like about working with talent? What do you maybe not like? what's uh, an example of like I trying to think so I've had I have the last two this job and my last job is very like unorthodox almost because they're both like startups and nobody knows what the fuck's going on and so I've had to do things that a normal production executive hasn't but I find that um I like to try to be a jack of all trades which I sort of talked about but the project sort of starts for me after development has developed and, and uh, at least on the studio side. And uh, usually it's a showrunner that's come up with the idea. And that person, you know, I'm I'm on board and I'm, I guess I'm always on board, but I'm deeply entrenched in the project until a line producer is hired and I will hire that line producer um, and or the studio will. And uh but that showrunner, there's that period where that showrunner is sort of coming up with, you know, it's either what the pilot is or the arc of the season and kind of talking to them and what they want, what they need. You know, um, one guy was I, I dealt with was, uh, you know, wanting to make sure his writer's room was in a certain area of town and that sort of thing. And and try just listening, you know, in college, I was a waitress. You listen, you take the order and you come back and you say, that's not on the menu, but this might be, you know. You really have gotten something out of every single job. I literally have had every job. My husband makes so much fun of me, but I have, I can, I I can think about it and give you a list, but it's, I worked at an amusement park. I've worked in it. I worked at a Toys R Us at Christmas. Like I've kind of had every job. Um, I relate. I drove a boat. (laughs) Pretzel time. Um, Pretzel time. I, oh, I love pretzels. I would have. We talked about pretzels already. Did we talk about pretzels? Um, pretzels did come up. You bought pretzels for people at, where did she buy pretzels for people? (laughs) Did I make up a weird pretzel thing in my brain? I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm oozing pretzels to you. You bought pretzels for people. We're all keeping this in the episode, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I want want people to know how crazy We're going to get to the bottom of this pretzel (laughs) thing. You had extra money that you'd not had before. Um, oh yeah, at the concert. You bought oh, yes. I'm right. not crazy. Yes. <laughs> at the Phil Lesh uh, and Friends Grateful Dead experience, you bought pretzels for people. I bought pretzels for people. I am. I'm a good listener with... and a terrible listener at the same time. <laughs> As I just said, you have to be a good listener and like take the order. Right. Um, yeah, I love pretzels. Sidebar. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so uh, just you know, be having them hear like hearing what they want and figuring out how to make it happen and execute that. And then, um, you know, telling them what's realistic and what can happen. 
Um, and it's based on a budget based on, it's based on a budget. It's based on, um, in terms of where maybe down the line the project's going to go. So in that case, it was where are we going to have stages for the series? And does that make sense to have them, you know, in Manhattan Beach if we're shooting in Simi Valley or something like that? Like, that doesn't make sense. So just, and that's the thing I always try to think about too, is that like 10,000 foot view of the entire project and from pre-production to delivery from, and then like the life cycle of the show beyond that within the studio um, because the post team will leave the showrunner might go on to do another show, but I'm still kind of championing, championing what the project is mm-hmm. and kind of keep trying to keep things in order for it. Like that's the wrong logo. Use this logo or whatever. Right. And you mentioned that at a certain point, a line producer comes on. Mm-hmm. Explain exactly what a line producer is. And now you um, a line producer is the owner of the show's budget. They, um, Depending on where you are at what studio or what have you, either a budget has already been created or they come in and create a budget and it's either a number they're backing into or it's here's the show and this is the number we got to. So it kind of can come any any sort of ways. And then they are the keeper of it. You know, they have to own it. They have to make sure the show comes in on time mm-hmm. and on budget. And um, and if they have issues, they 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 sidebar with me and we figure out how to kind of address things if it's, you know, and it could really be, you know, anything like, yeah, kind of, it, it could be as little as, um, snack budget, snack budget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like, where do you want us to order office supplies from? Mm-hmm. And, you know, or huge picture, like we don't have a location. Do you know anybody that could help us get X, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe there's not, a good place to get snacks around that location. Right. And like, where's the closest soft pretzel stand? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> but as long as there's some snacks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the snacks, there got to be snacks. You can't make television without a snack. Why? Because snack. what are you going to eat when you need a snack? Exactly. Um, and that's really the first hire on a show. The, the catering. Snack, <laughs> the snack, snack person. The snack guy or girl <laughs> and the mouth guy or girl. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't have a snack without a mouth. That's right. <laughs> but don't... don't. <laughs> oh, this is fun. Um, um, I have a question for you. Okay. And I'm just the one to ask. It. <laughs> what, um, I mean, you, I'm going back to the question about talent and working mm-hmm. with talent. I'm sure you've worked with people like from Tony Danza mm-hmm. to, um, brand new TV producers who just mm-hmm. sold their first script. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you noticed any sort of, uh, similarities or patterns in the type of people that sell shows and, uh, the type of personalities that, that get things done. And well, I, I really, um, I think across the board and no matter the budget, the person who creates a show has had that show in their head for a while. And, um, I mean, a lot of times a showrunner could come in and, and be somebody who's done it a bunch and they've come in on somebody else's idea. Um, my husband's a writer and, and has had that happen to him. And so they've hired a showrunner, but he's created the show. Um, but kind of regardless of that, it's it's somebody who has had this idea in their head for a long time. And almost like the lower the budget, the more passionate sometimes that idea is because it might be their first idea. Mm-hmm. And it's the very first time they get to tell a story. And so you have to remember how personal it is. Even, even if it's comedy or drama or whatever, it's, it's their baby, you yeah. know? And they want to know that they're in good hands and they're taken care of. And... um want to feel like they have somebody on the team on the other side. And, um, I'm, you know, I'm always been in sports. And so I really, I glom onto that like sports mentality and that team mentality. And so I try to be that ear for them and, and to be that teammate and getting, getting it done. Um, and I think I am, I hope I have that reputation and, and people enjoy working with me in that regards, but it does, I would say, the bigger budget, it might be somebody's like second or third or fourth go round, And not that it's not, you know, important to them, but there's something about the lower budget shows too, where it's like, it's their first time. And yeah. it might be the first time they've been a write a staff writer and it's their own show or, you know, and that sort of thing. So, um, and they might not know exactly what they can or cannot ask for, um, and or get. And so mm-hmm. just sort of, 
cultivating a good experience. And, and if it's something that is outrageous, communicating that in a fair and firm way mm-hmm. so that they don't turn into a monster. Right. <laughs> down the we road. can't afford the coconut waters, but <laughs> yeah. we do have some Evian. How about some water? <laughs> Dried coconut. <laughs> it all comes back to snacks for me. I'm sorry. That's fine. Where are the snacks? Here? That's a good point. Um, Andrew, our producer, didn't bring me any. No, actually, I have cookies, though. I'm going to bring right. some cookies in. But no coffee. But no coffee. Daggers. Mm-hmm. Hi, daggers, Andrew. Why are you throwing me under the bus? <laughs> um, sorry, Andrew. No bus here. I got Lindsay coffee. Andrew to get Lindsay coffee. That was the coffee. Have have the record note. I do have a coffee. It's mm-hmm. very good. You should get a... Sh- Where is this from? You should shelf them out. Maybe you can get free coffee. It's next door. Please sponsor the show. So, <laughs> Lindsay, the show's called Gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. And we talk about the various gatekeepers, um, usually in the world of comedy. But as far as being a producer, I mean, many times you are the gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, in various aspects, but what are the gatekeepers that you need to get through in your own career? Mm. The Peter Drysdale's, the Lauren Michaels, Peter Drysdale, right? Nope. Saved by the bell. Peter Engel. Engel. I got E-N-G-E-L. Peter. E N G E L. I feel like it's Peter E Engel or something. Have you not watched the show? I've, I've <laughs> watched the show for sure. Watch. It's not even, um, saved by the bell. Watch. It's like some other show that I watched as a kid that he was the executive producer on. Um, way more Peter Ingle in this podcast than I thought there'd be. At least three Peter Ingle and one Peter Trisdale. And four pretzels. <laughs> and four pretzels. Um, the things that I kind of run up against, um, I feel like a lot of my battles, at least when I'm on, when I'm on the studio side, my battles are, and they're not so much battles, but they're, working with the team internally on how to get and when to get and prioritize sort of the asks to the show Um, because they're trying to make a show. And I feel like I have to, I'm protecting that a little bit. You know, I want to make sure that the show gets made and, um, and that there aren't just, not that they're random requests, but that the requests are timed in a manner that's healthy with the show and that the show can get done, um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I feel like recently in my career, I've done a lot of really weird things that are not the norm. You know, I came from a very old studio, and since then I have not been in that, you know, scenario at all. You know, when I got to 20th, I was in a department that was faxing like standards and practices memos. And I was like, is this really, really Like necessary? an e-fax, right? Yeah. Or, or just <laughs> no, a fax No, like fax. a real fax. Like a real fax. Like it would beep and paper would come out. And I'm wow. like, what is this? <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's like, I lost my train of thought. Where Faxing will take you Faxing. out. Um, so, so going from a super traditional place to, kind of doing these projects that nobody's really ever done before or uh, just it's like kind of the Wild West. It's let's figure it out. Let's make sure that the unions in town are happy with us, that we're doing it on the up and up and that everybody kind of is getting whatever they need to complete the job, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it be, um, you know, the writers or if it's the cast or if it's the marketing team or post-production or the network, you know, like everybody kind of knows who to go to and how to get it. So yeah, just kind of, I don't know if I answered the question, but just to get everybody what they need. And then what about gatekeepers as oh, far as a producer? Um, it sounds like the, the, the key is keep moving from project to project, meeting more and more people. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there like a set group of people that like you got to impress this person or if you want to become now the executive producer or the director or the showrunner? I, it's so funny because I, the last like couple years, excuse me, um, I've been working so hard and I've been, um, I've been working so hard and I've been working so fast and I've been very, very busy, not only with this, but like my personal life, like I got married, we just bought a house and just like everything is happening kind of at once. And so I haven't had time to sort of go out there 
and I guess this is a good thing. I finally, I, I don't have time to like sort of go out there and chase jobs. But people are talking to me about things, which are, which is really interesting. So I didn't, like I said, I didn't go to a big college. I have cultivated my reputation and I'm at the point where my reputation, people know, are getting to know me mm-hmm. and they like what they know and they want to work with me and I'm getting phone calls and I'm, you know, people are reaching out and I'm having a lot of, you know, general meetings and it's like, we don't have anything, but we just, we're told we have to meet you and this is great, you know, kind of thing. And, and just continuing to meet more people in the community and, and faces to names and all of that. So, um, I don't know. I feel like I haven't come up upon a gate that I have to get through at the moment Mm -hmm. or in the last year or so, but it's, um, I feel like I'm positioned that when I will, I have people that know me and my work that I can say, I really would like to work with you on this project, maybe talk to X, Y, and Z, and they can tell you a little bit more about me if you need references or whatever. So for me, it's all about the the contacts and the network and- Um, just doing a good job. I'm blue collar, you know, it's like you have to work hard Pittsburgh, baby. and somebody will see it, you know, you work hard and, and what else can you do? You know, if you love making things mm-hmm. and you're want to be a producer, mm-hmm. is there one thing, one step, um, or what's the entry level way of, of tackling this in the most efficient and best way? Um, I think whenever you get that first job, you have to do, it's probably going to be something like, a runner or getting getting everyone's lunches or stocking a fridge or whatever but please whatever you do do it so well you know make sure that everything I know it sounds so so stupid and it's something you know probably a kid in junior high can do but if you do that really really well people will see it you know um it's it's when you're going to get lunch, make sure everyone's lunch order is right and the name on it is written, you know, everyone's name is written on their lunch because it's like everybody that you're getting that lunch for is doing the show and they don't have time to stop down or if they don't have their butternut squash soup or something mm-hmm. like that or they're a vegan, you know, it's this whole like thing. Food is really important to this industry yeah. and just just make sure that you're doing those PA jobs like really, really well and then you will get next seat the second season maybe you're a coordinator and you kind of grow or somebody goes you never know who can help you get the next job so don't be an asshole and just do everything don't be an asshole do just be like really good at what you do and own everything you do no matter how little the job somebody is going to see that and appreciate it and i think that um any intern or page or anybody i work with i kind of try to impart that on them because it is really important when they're out into the quote unquote real world, real world of the industry and, and on the show. And then, um, the other thing too, is, uh, I've never, maybe this is my alumni network, which is me in this industry, but, um, I've never gotten a job just cold emailing or applying for a job online. I'll apply for a job online, but I will find out who I know there and who can connect me. And I think that's really, really important too. And, uh, because you have to, somebody almost in this town, somebody has to vouch for you, it seems like. And so you just have to make sure that whenever you need someone to vouch for you, that they know that you, you know, stocked that fridge or did a really good job breaking down a script or whatever it is. And, um, and then the rest of it will sort of follow. So. And that's great advice. Yeah. And then finally to the talent that listens to the show, whose careers are just taking off mm-hmm. and they're going to be on more and more sets and working on productions and, and selling shows as a producer. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you like to see from talent? Um, I, I, I assume that the basics just be cool, but um, be is cool. there something beyond that that you can, you know, I think having a really clear idea of what your project is or being able to articulate what the season is, what you might need, you know, if you're if you're the creator of a show and you're the first time creator, you know, having an idea of how your show is going to look like even if it's I really love, you know, man seeking woman and I want this show to be similar to that. Everybody wants their show to be this original and awesome and brand new idea. But you have to sort of articulate what it is you want and how you want it to look and just any sort of specific creative ideas you might have that you can bring to a meeting, Mm -hmm. put in a document, share with the people producing, um, I think will be helpful because communication needs to be as clear as it possibly can be. And sometimes it's having something like that would be 
you know, save your words if you have to, and you you can reference another show. And does that make sense? Should I try Absolutely. again? Okay. No, no, you're you're so good. Okay, um, you are doing so great. I and the other question as far as talent is, you know, just uh, people that are hired for to come on for a day and just do a role. Mm-hmm. And I think you would probably say that that's if, as important as that person that's bringing your lunch, mm-hmm. um, because these are producers that you'll want to work with the rest of your career. Yeah. Um, so is, do you have any like nightmare stories or, or stories about the, the talent that are just doing it right as far as their attitude when they're shooting? Um, I, I felt like, I, so I, I was a production executive on Grease Live and I felt like Julianne Huff was the most amazing person ever. And she was just, she came every day and she was so happy and she was so great with everybody. And, um, you know, from the very first time I met her kind of all the way through, it's just like breath of fresh air. And, um, I think that when you're positive and when you're upbeat, it's really, it, it, it spreads to other people. And I think everybody should try to, you know, be that way in your everyday life. But when you're working on set and the hours are long and everybody wants to, you know, go home at the end of the day, if you can just sort of be happy and chipper, you don't have to be like, you know, birds chirping, sun shining (laughs) every second. I understand, but there is something like bad, like a bad vibe can spread quickly. So just, you're all there to make a show. You're all hired to do that. It's like everybody dreamed of doing this. Mm -hmm. You're all doing it. Let's do it, you know? And um, so I think uh, in terms of, I think you're asking more about cast and all that, but if you have something and an issue or whatever, you know, talk to your reps or talk to your producer and, you know, let's work it out, you know? Let's work it out. Let's work it out. We can all get along in this world if we just, you know, remember that we're always looking to a mirror. That's right. I am you and you are me. That's right. And if you want that soft pretzel, I'll get you that soft pretzel. And I'll, and I'll, I'll get you a, a pretzel rod. That's right. Cheesy pretzel. <laughs> pretzel wrapped in bacon. Whatever. Is that a thing? A yeah. pretzel wrapped in bacon? Yeah. Of course Annie M's has it. Auntie M. Right? Or Auntie Pretzel M. Wetzel. One of those two places has it. Wetzel and M are the gatekeepers of an industry. <laughs> if anyone listening has access to... Uh, one of these uh, luminaries in the world of baked, twisted breads. You know where to find me. And I'm coming to that session as well. <laughs> well, you'll be here. I will be here. You'll be a co-host. <laughs> well, this has been awesome. Awesome. Um, I'm going to wrap up the show as I always do. And I think you illustrated all these points perfectly. That you just need to work on your craft endlessly, be a professional, be undeniable, and be cool as fuck always. Thank you for listening to... Gatekeeper. For more episodes of Gatekeeper, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts.